great subject, right? Light of the world, always only Jesus. Somebody lose some car keys. Really? Are they a Ferrari? Right this way. Come right over here. I'll take the Ferrari keys. Anyway, just kidding. You're like, what? No? All right, we want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. If you lost keys, we found a pair of keys. So I don't know if you, somebody lost keys. And uh, if you need keys, we got them. But we want to help you, uh, encourage you today to uh, share the stream. So if you're watching us by Facebook or you're watching us on live stream, please share the stream. Uh, if you don't, if you haven't subscribed to Facebook or to our page, please do that as well. And also on uh, YouTube, just in helps happens. So one of the things I'll just share with that with the, on the whole Facebook thing is um, one of the ways Israel actually began to influence the culture around them was when they laid hold of the tools of the culture. And social media, whether we love it or whether we hate it, is a tool of the culture. And anything that gives us the ability to spread the message of the gospel, we should embrace it. And social media definitely does that. It has all of its negatives as well, as I'm sure we're all acquainted with. But it also has some positives. And that one of those positives is you can use it as a means to influence people for Jesus. So we want to do that. So we're talking about Christmas. And today I want to talk to you about worship. There's a lot of themes going on with uh, in when Christ was born, and one of the themes that was happening, and one of the meta-themes actually in the Bible is worship, but there's a lot of worship going on around the time of Jesus for good, for good reason. Luke chapter 2, the angel comes upon these shepherds. So there's these shepherds out in the field, right? This is a really important story because when Jesus comes and, they, they, and heaven begins to announce the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the promised one. Jesus doesn't go, the angels don't go to the palace, all right? They didn't go to the nobles. They didn't go to the bankers. They didn't go to the most influential people in the culture. The angels went to the outcast. And so the message comes to the outcast. The announcement comes to the outcast. The shepherds were the outcasts. They were the unwanted. They were not allowed to testify in court, right? They, had, they, were, they were ceremonially unclean. In that culture, you couldn't even access the temple unless you were ceremonially clean. And because the shepherds were always dealing with dead bodies and carcasses and all this other stuff, they were constantly unclean. So they weren't even accepted into worship circles. But they were accepted into Jesus' circle. Right? The angels come and announce this to who? To the shepherds. First of all, they freaked out. So the angel goes, don't be afraid. Right? Fear not. For behold, everybody say it with me. Behold. I bring you, say with me, good news, great joy for all people. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of Christmas. Good news of great joy for all people. For all people. What is the news of Jesus? That things can change. Did you know that? That life does not have to be the same. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be restored. Not only does life, is life capable now of being transformed, but you are now capable of being transformed. That's good news. Anybody want to do over? Anybody at all? You say, man, I wish I could start over. The good news with your Christian is like when you get born again, you get an automatic do over. But what we are, what we have access to as Christians is we have something, we have a do over every day. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. He's got something new for you every day. You want change? Who told you it had to stay the same? Jesus is the God of change. He's the God of transformation. Our problem is change. He's the, he doesn't have a problem with change. We have the problem with change. Say it with me. The bridge from where I am to where I need to be is called change. Unfortunately, change to most of us is a four-letter word. It's almost profanity. We don't want to change. We, we, we'd rather keep things the same because it's comfortable and familiar rather than embrace the unknown. We're more comfortable with the painful familiarity of a broken past than we are willing to embrace the unknown future of hope with Jesus. That's a fact. This is why people don't change. They won't let go of the familiarity of their pain or they won't embrace and they won't go through the processes that are necessary to bring them out of where they are. And so they stay in the place, of, they stay in the place where nothing changes. Nothing changes. Nothing changes unless you're willing to change. Jesus will not do anything for you. He will only do it with you. There's a prophetic word given to the nation of Moab in the Bible. And God speaks to these people of Moab. And he said, you're a people of leisure. You've never done anything with your lives. 
You've never emptied yourself from vessel to vessel. You've never taken what you've been given and done anything with it. Therefore, your scent remains. It's one of the reasons why our scent remains is because we never do anything with what we already have. Or we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Einstein, I think it was him, one of these guys, one of these brilliant people, who said that the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You know what stupid is? Doing it over and over again and thinking it's going to be any different than it was the first time. It's not. In Christ, you not only have, you not only have the power to change, you have the power to embrace a transformed life. Jesus is a genesis of God. He will renew everything. Everything. Not just you, your whole circumstances. The issue isn't whether the Lord wants to. The issue is, is whether you want to. He is willing. Are you? Lord, if you're willing, he's like, I'm willing. Are you? Are you willing to do what you don't want to do in order to have what you've never had? Are you willing to inconvenience yourself and do something that's painful for you? Are you willing to cut off the familiar and embrace the unknown? Are you willing? Most aren't. Most aren't. This is why we live in the levels of mediocrity. This is why we live in the levels of average. We, 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 we settle for accepted when we're called to be exceptional. It really doesn't matter if I'm accepted because I'm not pursuing accepted. I'm pursuing exceptional. And in the pursuit of exceptional, I will not always be accepted. That's just a fact. Yeah? You have to make up your mind. Which one do you want? Average is easy. You want to be average, you're going to have a lot of company. Because most people are average. Jesus hasn't created you to be average, nor has he called you to be average. Every single one of you, you are called to an exceptionality. You're created on purpose with a purpose. And then when you come to Christ, you now have access to your purpose. Without Jesus, you don't even have access to your purpose. But in Christ, you now have the potential of purpose. Your potential can actually be realized. But it cannot be realized without him. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15. You can't do anything without Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing without the Lord. You can try. You can achieve much in human effort. But the issue when it comes to human effort is whatever you achieve in human effort can be lost with human effort. Whatever thing you achieve with the Lord, the gifts, and, the gifts of callings of God are without repentance. What he gives, it doesn't, he doesn't change his mind. And anything the Lord gives you, even if, even if there is a loss, it will come back because it was, not, it was given of him, not of you. This is why you want the Lord involved in everything, in everything. Long story, not going to get off on that, but I could. The, the good news is that things can change. The good news is that you can be changed. Great joy. Great joy. What is joy? Joy is a determination of hope. Happiness, say it with me, happiness is based on happenings. Right. Happiness is great so long as everything is happening. But joy is not based on happenings. Joy is a determination. It is a willful determination of hope. That's what joy is. I will rejoice the Lord in the Lord. I will honor the Lord. I will. It's a determination of the heart, not based upon external circumstances. Whether, the, whether it's raining or whether it's sunny outside, doesn't matter. I will honor the Lord. Joy is a determination of hope. It is a settled assurance that things are going to go in your favor. That's what joy is. The house is burning down. People are like, man, your house is burning down. You're losing everything. You're going to say, well, wait till you see what Jesus gives me back. I have joy. Why do you have so much joy? Why aren't you freaked out because your house is burning down? Because this isn't the end. This isn't the end. God works all things out to the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. That's not, this, this isn't the end. It doesn't matter. He will take your mistakes and he'll redeem them. If you're willing. He gives beauty for ashes. Give him your ashes. All I got is a burned out life. Give it to him. All I got is burned out decisions. Give it to him. He gives beauty for ashes. Say it with me. My heavenly father is in the restoration business. It's what he does 24 7. Huh? It's what he does. This is who he is. He restores. He's the God of the resurrection. It's dead. Oh, it's dead. Oh, God, it's dead. It's dead. Jesus is like, who told you it's dead? 
Who told you it's dead? Did Jesus tell you it's dead? Shirley, did Jesus tell you we given up? Did Jesus give up on you? We just prayed for Shirley, right? Doctors given up on her. Jesus never gave up on her. Who told you that? Oh, it's dead. Who told you it's dead? Who told you that? Did Jesus tell you it's dead? It's not over unless the Lord says it's over. Do you understand that? And I got news for you. As long as you put a mirror underneath your nose and you breathe and it fogs, there's hope in this world. If the mirror's fogging, you have access to hope. And you say, well, what if I'm dead, pastor? Happy day to live as Christ, to die as gain. You can't lose. The only way you lose is when you make a decision that you're going to lose. When you make covenants and partnerships and agreements and decisions with things that are not of the Lord, that's when you lose. We tear down vain imaginations. We tear down every thought and every word that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Did Jesus say that? Tear it down. If he didn't say it, tear it down. But everybody else is saying it. The news is saying it. The doctors are saying it. My friends are saying it. My bank account is saying it. I don't care who's saying it. Speak back to that bank account. What shall we say to these things? Huh? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. What shall we say to the things that testify against us? It's right. You've got zero in your bank account. If God be for me, who can be against me? What shall you say to these things? It's a big thing. The devil has put a spirit of mute over an entire generation of Christians. Mute the mouth of the believer. Mute the, lo- the mouth of the confession. Mute the mouth of the worshiper. Because he knows where the power lies. He gets you into an agreement and you say nothing about it. Who you submit yourselves to is who becomes your master. If you subordinate to yourself to a voice that is not your father, that voice will become your master. If you constantly are subordinating yourself to the voices of a culture, that voices within that culture will be your master. If you subordinate yourself to voices of fear and hopelessness, those voices of fear and hopelessness will be your master. To whom you submit yourself to is whose master you be- who becomes your master. This is why we submit only to what the Lord says. You cannot submit yourself. Listen, really, this is how real this gets. You cannot submit yourself to the voice of your emotions. Can I get a witness? Your, vo- your emotions are talking to you. But it doesn't matter what your emotions are saying. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We don't walk by what is seen. We walk by what is unseen. We don't walk by what is felt. We walk by what is true. We don't live by reality. We live by truth. We pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. And all these things are more than a conqueror. Well, your reality doesn't say it. doesn't matter. I'm going to pursue that truth until that truth becomes my reality. It's true. This is the power that we have as believers. We are a contrarian people. We are peculiar people. We are not of this world. We call what is not as though it were. That doesn't sound very normal to you, does it? But that's who and what we are. The church is so busy trying to be normal. We're not normal. We're from another world. We're not of this culture. Why do we want to be like this culture? We're not of this culture. We're a kingdom culture. We're called not to bring the culture of the world into the church and to make the church more accessible to the world. We're called to take the kingdom culture into the world and say, whoop, that is, that's what we're supposed to do. Like it or not, you know, like it or not, this is what we are. Like it or not, we're a people of hope in the midst of despair. Like it or not, we're a people of generosity in the midst of greed. This is what we are. Like it or not. We don't obey the voices of a culture. We the voice of voices of a king. I've listened to my king. There is no voice greater than his. You've got to change and make a determination that this is what you want to be and this is who you want to be or nothing will change. This is the good news of the gospel is things don't have to be the same anymore. And we preach this stuff, but we don't know how to activate it. I'm not interested in preaching it unless I know how to activate it. I want it activated. I'm not interested in talking about poems about the kingdom. I want to see the kingdom. These things we have seen, these things that we have heard, these things that we have handled concerning the word of truth. 
Peter said, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. Don't you want to be an eyewitness of his majesty? Don't you want to see, hear, and experience the glory of God and not hear about it? Don't you want to be in the game? Why be a spectator when you're called to be a player? Hmm? Why? Just a thought. <laughs> Things can change and you can be changed. If you like it the way it is, then that's okay. Stay the way it is. Abraham said to the servants, stay behind in the valley with the asses. It's in the Bible. For my son and I go to the mountain to worship. Stay in the low places with the stubborn. Stay in the low places with the ignorant. For Isaac and I go to the mountain to worship. Where are you? That's another story. Great joy, determination of hope, a settled assurance that things are going to turn out for your favor. Huh? Say it with me. I will pass through the fire, but I will not be burned. I will go through the water, but, they will not, but the water will not overtake me. He never told you you wouldn't go through the fire. He just said you're not going to be burned by the fire. He never told you you wouldn't go through the water. He just said the water's not going to overtake you. Yeah, you're going through the fire. It gets hot, right? Things don't always look good. It gets hot, you know. Something's... He, but that doesn't mean that God's not with you. You're going through it. You're going through it. The promise of the believer is that they go through what the world goes under in. What sinks the world is not to sink the church. We belittle our destiny. We belittle our identity by identifying with a culture that is not our own. We think that we're just like the world. We're not just like the world. We're exceptional in every way. In every way. The exceptionality of the believer what makes you so special, Jesus? What makes you so special? The promises that he's put upon me. I didn't ask for it. He gave it because he's loving, kind, generous, and good. This is why. You have to make up your mind. You can be average. You can be exceptional. Things are going to turn out in your favor. They will. Determination to honor Jesus in all things. Good news to all. It's good news of great joy for all people. Say, well, I don't know if Jesus is for me. He's for you. He's for you. Everything about Jesus says he's for us. Say, he's not for the high achievers. He begins at the lowest point. And if you are a high achiever, the way you go high in this kingdom is you first got to go low. So if you're starting at zero or negative 10, happy day. You got a head start on the people that have already been self-achievers. Because the self-achiever must come down in order to go up. That's the way this kingdom works. You must become humble in order to come higher. Jesus isn't interested in what you built. He's interested in what he will build through you and with you. He's not interested in your genius because you know nothing. You can live with your genius if you want to. But his genius is way better than yours. All people born of a 16-year-old virgin girl. Imagine the reputation she carried. Unwanted pregnancy, right? She, Mary was 16 when she conceived Jesus. Teenage mother, born in a barn. They didn't even have room for him in the hotel. They're like, oh, well, you can have the shed, right? The Bible says Jesus was the son of man. He was homeless. He had nowhere to lay his head. The king of glory left all things to come as you. Identifies himself as the son of man. The Holy Spirit comes. He came, the Holy Spirit came as a lion, didn't he? Didn't, isn't that what he no? What, no? what did the Holy Spirit come as? An ox? Surely the Holy Spirit appeared as an ox, didn't he? No? Holy Spirit came as what? Right. What's the dove? The only offering that the poor could afford. The poor, everybody was, see, this is again what we need to understand in churches. Everybody had to give an offering when you came before the Lord. No one was exempted from coming before the Lord empty-handed. Because he's a great king and deserving of honor. And because the Lord knows the only way he can access you is if you will honor him. And his desire is to access you. And if you will not allow him the honor that is due him, he can never access you. And you need to be accessed by the Lord. So the poor had to come. And they had to have an offering in their hand. And the only offering they could afford was a pigeon or a dove. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, we think, oh, what a beautiful poetic picture of the Holy Spirit coming like a dove. He's not coming as a dove to be poetic. He's coming as a dove to be prophetic. And he's declaring that I am for the lowest of you. Yeah, come on. I am for the least of you. The promise of my presence and my power is not to the elites, but to the lowest. 
Huh? <laughs> All the losers get a crown, and everybody said, Amen. He takes the outcasts and he makes them insiders. He takes what no one else wants and he establishes himself and he establishes them for his glory. This is who he is. There's nobody like you. Nobody like him. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of worship, which is what the word worship means. It means value and worth. Do you know how valuable you are to Jesus? He gave everything for you. Value and worth is determined by the price that will be paid. And so when he looked at you and he said, what are you worth? He said everything. And he gave it all. So that question isn't in play. But the question that is in play is what and who is Jesus worth to you? You got to understand the standard of this kingdom. It's all or nothing. Jesus said, if you do not love me more than you love everything else, you're not what? Starts with a W, worthy. You're not worthy of me. If you place anything, anyone at any time above me, you are not worthy of me. Right? Sometime in the near future, I just told this to a person a few months ago. She's wondering why her life is always a calamity. And I said, because Jesus is still negotiable to you. You sell Jesus out all the time. And I said, your life will only change when Jesus becomes the non-negotiable. So long as Jesus is the negotiable, the devil's going to negotiate. He's going to negotiate. He knows what you want. You want fame? Just give up Jesus. You want fortune? Just give up Jesus. You want a relationship? No problem. I've got all kinds of relationships. Which one do you want? Just give up Jesus. At some point... Jesus has to become your non-negotiable. What's he worth to you? What's he worth to you? That's the question. It's not just what we are worth to him. We have to make a shift until he is everything to us. And until that happens, almost nothing's going to change. These are keys of activation of a kingdom. This is why Christianity lies dormant. We're, we, we have a Ferrari I'm on Ferraris today for some reason. I prophesy a Ferrari. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have the keys to a Ferrari, and we don't know how to drive it. We have the keys to a Ferrari, and we don't even know how to start the engine. We don't. Christianity's not this flat lack of... Sub Listen, if this thing wasn't real, I would have left this long ago. Long ago. That's why most Christians fall away from church within five years of coming to Christ. Well, they still claim to be saved. They just stop attending church because there's nothing offered beyond the norm. The lion in you is hungry. The lion in you wants more. And when all we're doing is offering people to settle, just settle, just settle. Well, who told you that? Jesus never told you to settle. There's realms untold. There's activation untold. There's power untold. That's what I want. There's destiny there's hills to take and mountains to take and cities to conquer, all to present to him on that glorious day. All for you, Jesus. Jesus has to become your non-negotiable. So long as you sell Jesus out for a boyfriend, you're going to have no problem getting a boyfriend. So long as you sell Jesus out for a girlfriend, you're going to have no problem getting a girlfriend. You have no problem. When does he become non-negotiable to you? That's the question. Not what are you worth to him? He's shown us what he's worth. He said this much. He stretched out his arms and he died. He rose from the dead and he gives you the treasures of his kingdom. He said, you're worth all of this to me. But what is he worth to you? That's the operative question. That's the question. Worship is the central passion that drives your life. What is worship? It's value and worth. It's the central passion that drives your life. Say business. Okay, I don't have any problem. Look, there's all kinds of these externals that are necessary in our life. But Jesus must be involved in that external, right? You, if you're, my passion is to do business, but I will refuse to do passion if, do business if the Lord is not involved. Okay, we're good, right? But if you have the attitude, well, you just sit over there, Jesus, and let me handle it, right? There's a story in the gospel that's that way. Peter fished all night and caught nothing. You know the story, right? And then Jesus said, go out into the deep and let down your net. In another translation, he said, throw your net on the other side. You know what Peter's response was? 
dude, we've been fishing all night. I've been a fisherman since the age of 14 years old. You are a rabbi. What do you know about fishing? Leave this business to me. I know what I'm doing, and there's no fish to be caught. And Jesus said, put your net on the other side. Now that makes sense. You've been fishing all night, and Jesus is saying, move your net six feet over. Where if you're a fisherman, that, you're like, what? That's so stupid. So we're going to go here, and we're going to walk six feet over to the other side of the boat and throw the net. Okay, nevertheless, at your word, Lord, and you all know the story, he couldn't pull the fish in. Oh, Jesus doesn't know anything about business. Who told you that? You think you're a genius? You think you know it all? You know nothing. When you come to the place where you know nothing and he knows everything, now you can begin. I know nothing. You think you know how to raise a kid? You don't think he does? Huh? You think you're smart and understand all of these wonderful things? You think he doesn't know what he's doing? He knows everything. Our problem, idolatry begins when we exclude him. That's idolatry. The exclusion of the Lord is when it becomes idolatry. We all have to do things. We all have families, but Jesus be in my family, right? We all have jobs. Jesus be in my job. All that stuff's necessary. It's not an issue of whether you have to do that or not. That's a given. It's that, don't do it at the expense of him, right? Don't do it at the expense of him. That's another story. You believe a lie that he's not good enough. You believe a lie that he won't give you what you truly desire. That's why women sell themselves out for boyfriends and guys sell, them, sell their faith out for girlfriends because they don't truly believe that the Lord will give them a godly man. They don't truly believe that God will give them a godly woman. And so they bow down and they go and they chase unbelievers only to have their heart thrown in a blender and the devil hits frappe every time. Every time. Oh, I don't understand. Oh, oh. I'm like... If they're a Christian, they're accountable to the word of the Lord. If they're not a Christian, they're accountable only to themselves. This is the problem. People come to me and I'm like, are you a believer? Okay, boom, here's the standard of the gospel. You were commanded to love that woman. I didn't say if you felt like it. The Bible commands you. You need to lay down your pride, lay down your ego, lay down your dysfunctions, and love that woman. Seek her highest good at the expense of yourself. That is the command. If you're a believer, she like she having issues, and you're disrespecting him. Are you a believer, ma'am? Yes, I am. I follow Christ. The Bible commands you to honor him, in spite of his dysfunctions. I didn't say honor the honor the actions. The Bible commands you to honor the person. Honor the person. Well, I don't know. He's not honorable. Is anything good? Anything perfect? Anything of good report? Does he do anything right? We'll focus on that. You are under the command. What happens when unbelievers get together? The inevitable dysfunctions of relationship. Can I get a witness? Let's just say this. The inevitability of relational dysfunction, right? Relational dysfunction happens. The inevitability of relational dysfunction is going to occur. And the unbeliever has no accountability to the things of God's spirit or of his ways, right? And so the unbeliever goes their way or does what Dr. Phil or Oprah says, right? Nothing wrong with Dr. Phil or Oprah, I'm just saying, Jesus is a little higher than Oprah and Dr. Phil. He knows a little more. This is why God is commanding us to be married people that are in covenant. Because the covenant of God requires an accountability. It puts us in a position of an accountability where we are accountable to the Lord's word and his will and his spirit. Worship is the central passion that drives your life. Psalm 115, those who create idols become like them. <laughs> All who follow idols become like them. You can tell a person's lifestyle by the idols that they worship. It's just true. People that worship and have an adoration of money, it's all about money. Everything's about money. Everything's about bling, 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 bling. It's all about money. People that worship motorcycles. If you're a motorcycle guy, don't beat me up. Right? You worship a Harley. You even sound like a Harley. What's your name? My name's Harley. The bike has a chain. You have a chain. The bike's got a leather seat. You got a leather jacket. Right? The bike's got rubber tires. You got rubber boots on. What's up? Just saying. 
I know a lot of guys who love motorcycles that love Jesus. It's not the motorcycle at the expense of Jesus. That's the issue. That's the issue. You can totally be into bikes, but love Jesus at the same time. You can, you can be, listen, there are people in this room, there's nothing wrong with money. There are people in this room that are endowed to make money, but the, the, the endowment to make money is not so you can build a selfish empire. That's the deceit. There are people that God creates those who have literally a Midas touch or are kings in the earth that can do things and manifest money like that. Those are gifts to the church. But what happens is oftentimes with Christians is they start thinking, oh, I can make money and they know how to make money. And the only person they can think of is themselves. Now your money has become an idol. Now now that that becomes idolatry, right? Pleasure seeking. Jesus is okay with you having a good time. But if all you do is go and have a good time at the expense of Jesus and his faith and his community, there's a problem here. You You just might have an idol of your fishing boat. Well, I can't come to church. I go fishing on Sundays. Ah, you just might have an idol here, dude. People that worship family. Nothing is to be preceded above Jesus. You say family's important, not at the expense of Jesus. He said, do you love mother, father, sister, brother, uncle, cousin, niece, nephew more than me? You're not worthy of me. Your family does not come above Jesus. Jesus comes above your family, and your family is integrated into Christ with you. Jesus is a part of everything. It's all or nothing with him. Do you know when he gave that speech, you do realize over 300 people left when he said that. Jesus was oons, oons, oons. He was blowing it up. His entourage went from 12 to 350, and Jesus said, let's test the metal of their faith. Why are you following me? Are you following me because of fish and chips? Are you following me because of of signs and wonders? Are you following me because of passion and a pursuit of my heart? And so he begins to tell them, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you don't love anybody more than me, you can't follow me. He goes on to that. And they all left. They all left. They just walked away because they said, who can handle this? Who can handle what this guy's saying? Jesus looks at Peter and goes, there's the door, Peter. You want to go? You can go too. And Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. When you speak, I come alive. Where am I going to get that? When my mother all speaks, I feel like I want to die. When you speak, I come alive. (laughs) Just a thought. (laughs) Vanity, intellect, all these things. Anything you place above above or before Jesus... It's just the way it is. The Lord must be integrated into every area of your life. I've been married 30 plus years. If Jesus wasn't in my, I know, wow, I know, right? Dude, you're old, you know? My my wife was a child bride. I married her at 16, so no, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, I'm joking. I'm totally joking. But um, for us to be married that long is impossible without the Lord, Right? I mean, I know she's good looking, but she ain't that good looking, right? I know I'm a pretty good guy, but I'm not that good of a guy. You know what I mean? Looks and vanity and niceties don't make the marriage last. That's not what makes it last. It's a love, preach. It's love and commitment one to the other and a submission to Christ. She's never, well, she has threatened to divorce me a couple of times, but she's threatened to murder me more times than divorce me, so. I'll tell my daughter, we're going on vacation, and if your dad doesn't come back, don't believe anything your mother says. <laughs> Call the National Guard. Send helicopters. I don't know, Mariah. He just fell off the boat somewhere out in the middle of the ocean. I don't know what happened. Tell Mariah, don't believe her. Don't believe what she says. <laughs> We know we're valuable because of the price Jesus paid. Suddenly there was a, uh, so Jesus appeared, the angels appeared to the, to the angels. The angels appeared to the shepherds. The shepherds worshiped the Lord with singing. Do you know you're supposed to worship the Lord with singing? With our lives, but also with singing. And this idea of singing is the making of melodic words. Doesn't mean you're a soprano or an alto or anything like that. Most of us can't carry a tune in a bucket. Just true. And the Bible says, make a joyful noise. But what singing is, is melodic words. Is Raul here? There's Raul. Raul's the singing prophet. 
So he'll give you a melodic word. And he'll say, you've been waiting a long time. The Lord sees you. And he knows you've been waiting a long time. But it's coming. Wait for it. Wait for it. That's Raul. That's melodic praise. That's melodic praise. That's melodic, right? Some of you all know Charmaine. Charmaine will come to give you a word and she'll be like, She'll go. <laughs> I just feel a song. <laughs> She'll start singing, and you'll be like, what? We're supposed to sing. We're supposed to sing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you people. Honor the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. We're supposed to sing. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. He didn't tell you if you felt like it. This is actually emphatic imperative, which in structure means command. Come before the Lord with singing. Right? Ephesians, speak to each other in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord and give thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So, Raul, they're going to hit you up for a singing word this afternoon, probably. Somebody, hey, give me one of those songs over me. When the angels had left them, they had gone to heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that they are speaking of. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph with the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw Jesus, they spread the word concerning those who, about this child and who had heard and were amazed. And the shepherds said to them, then the shepherds, and the at what the shepherds had said to them. So the shepherds appear to Mary and Joseph and they start saying, hey man, we saw angels out in the field and that telling us to come here. This is what's fascinating to me. You know what's fascinating to me? Is all of the miracles and the encounter that the New Testament is filled with. I mean, we have angelic appearances in the New Testament, but somehow we don't think that angelic appearances happen anymore. We have Joseph having prophetic dreams where the Lord is instructing him in a prophetic dream. You imagine this? Somebody's trying to kill you, and they're in, let's just say, oh, I don't know, another county, right? And you're, li you're living in another county, and then you have a prophetic dream telling you to go to that county. Oh, it's okay, it's safe. How many of you would actually do it off of a dream? Not many, but Joseph did. He had a prophetic dream, and the Lord told him to leave Egypt and goes back, for the one that sought the child's life is no more, Right? There's all kinds of encounter here. There's all kinds of prophetic things. Zacharias starts prophesying. Anna starts prophesying, right? Zacharias, the Bible says, Zacharias became filled with, the, filled with the spirit of the Lord and began to prophesy. Anna sees the baby coming into the, the temple court and she starts prophesying, right? As soon as she saw him, this child, this one, yeah, and the shepherds worshipped. So the angels appeared to the shepherds, and the shepherds go and worship. What did they do? They first came and saw, right? They took time out of their lives because this mattered. Understand that? So church Christian and the worship of your father and the honor of the Lord is not an accessory. It, this isn't like an option, right? Let's see if I don't have anything to do, I'll go honor Jesus, right? That's, that's kind of how we play. Ah, oh, it's boring today. I don't know. I could sleep, but I slept a lot yesterday, so I guess I'll go to church and honor the Lord. I mean, it's how we treat this. We, 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 have to, we have to elevate the level of honor that we hold. We have to elevate the level of, of desire that we have for him. All right? The shepherds worship. Amen. The shepherds worship. They came and saw, and then they went and told. Say it with me. I'm supposed to come and see. Come on. I'm supposed to come and see, and I'm supposed to go and tell. Right? That's what we do. We come and see, we go and tell. Church should be alive. Sure, church shouldn't be a funeral. You know what I mean? Which is a funeral procession, you know? Or it shouldn't just be all about candy and bubble gums and, you know, it should be, man, I heard a testimony in church. This dude's prostate was healed. Oh, I heard a testimony. This lady passed a tumor. Oh, I heard a testimony in church. This woman came off of 29 pills. Oh, I heard a testimony in church. This, woman's, this woman, her thyroid completely healed. I mean, we see that stuff all the time. It should be like, you should be, that, that should be like water cooler conversation. Let me tell you what happened today at Elevate. You know, it should be stuff like that. This is what we should be doing. Well, my pastor had a really good sermon about bicycles. 
and how riding a bicycle is like riding with Jesus. <laughs> right? Th this is how we are. I mean, <laughs> just the thought. And so they go and they tell, and these people are changed. Their lives are changed. People can't argue with a changed life. They can't argue with a changed life. Say it with me. Jesus uses ordinary people just like me to do extraordinary things. Amen. He's a master of that. He loves to take the ordinary and do the extraordinary. What is despised of men is esteemed of God. What is esteemed of men is despised of God. What we celebrate isn't always what Jesus celebrates. So I want to celebrate what Jesus celebrates. I don't want to celebrate, you know, that's just me. We're all called to be witnesses. So this Christmas, it's like what we just begin to become a worshiper. This Christmas, the question that I would ask you is who are you going to invite? People are open to church, right? They may not have any association with Jesus or even their need for salvation, but they're at least open to the idea of church at Christmas and Easter, right? And on the guilt trip day, which is Mother's Day, that's the one the other day that people tend to come to church. If you love me, you'll come to church with me. I did bear you. I, will you, I am your mother. I spent 12 hours in labor with you and you can't come to church with me for two hours. <laughs> it works. It works. Anyway, but they're open to it. They're open, they're open to coming to church at Eastern Christmas. We're not all, not all can, we're all, we all have the gift of evangelism. We can all tell about Jesus if we desire, but we, that's, but we're all, we are definitely all called to be witnesses. Acts chapter one, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. That means your immediate circle, your greater circle, and the far-reaching circle of your life, we are commanded to be witnesses. So the question is, is who are you going to invite? Make a list of five people, five or six people, right? So we got another Sunday, and we have a Christmas Eve service. Let's make a list. We got cards over there. Grab a couple of cards, right? Invite some people. Just say, hey, I want to invite you out to Christmas service this week. Oh, when is it? Sunday? I don't know if I can make Sunday. Well, we got a Friday night, uh, Christmas Eve. It's that simple. It's that simple. How did you, one of the easiest ways is how, how did you come? How did someone invite you, right? You are, gonna, you are gonna be able to invite the people that are like you. This is the first thing. So the way that we reach people is through compassion. Compassion means not just suffer with, but compassion means understanding. You will reach people that you understand, most of us are trying to reach people that we don't understand. And then we wonder why we can't reach them because we don't understand them, right? We have to under, Ezekiel was sent to the people, to the children of Israel in, at the, in, uh, when they were in bondage in Babylon and God told him to speak a word. And Ezekiel refused to speak a word until he understood. He said, until I sat where they sat, then I arose and spoke the word of the Lord. That's wisdom. When you understand where people are coming from, you're most likely able to communicate with that person. Who's like you? What has similar backgrounds, similar experiences? How were you invited? Right? People come to Christ on the arms of a loving friend. That's just a fact. Very few people come through some evangelistic call that they came across on the radio or the TV. Most of them come through a relationship with a friend who brought them to a place where the message was heard and received. That's just a fact. So you have to understand, who, is in, who in your world do you understand? Who in your world do you relate to? The first thing you need, say, I need, compa I need compassion. Come on, I need compassion. I need to understand them, right? And then I need boldness. Number one prayer in the book of Acts was for boldness. You know why? Because we're all inherently cowards. <laughs> we want to, but we just get afraid. You know, it's true. The heart is willing, the flesh is weak, right? We need boldness to cross the chicken line. Lord, give me boldness. He'll give you boldness. He'll give you courage. He will. You need compassion. You need boldness. And then you need to share a simple invitation. I was talking with Quinn. Quinn's got this vision. He's going to go out on the streets and do this mass evangelism. You know, and I'm explaining. I was talking with him this week, and I was saying, and he was just saying, yeah, sometimes I don't know what I'm saying. I said, Quinn, rehearse it. Go into the spirit. See yourself wherever you are on a street corner talking to somebody. You know, if you see yourself doing whatever it is, see yourself that way. 
Do you know most, most of these guys that do evangelism and things like that, they've already rehearsed it. These guys, that do, they, they're, they're used to it. They, they've already rehearsed in their heart what they're going to say. And they'll say, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I see that hand. They've already rehearsed it in their heart before they ever stopped into it. One of the things is, is rehearse it. You know, just kind of rehearse it in your heart. Hey, I just want to invite you out to church this Sunday. And, uh, you know, oh, I don't want to come. Well, we have Christmas Eve service. And then in your mind, you may already, you may already have rehearsed the no. But you've rehearsed the, the thing. And you're thinking when they're going to say no. And then where you're going to be shocked is when they take the card and go, okay. You know, then, then that changes everything. But rehearse it. Right? Some plant, some water. Allow the Lord to highlight people. Just say this. Holy Spirit, highlight five people in my circle with whom... I have commonality with whom I can be bold with and with whom I can share a simple invitation. He's going to show you. You're looking for low-hanging fruit, right? So this is how you reach people. We're all called to be witnesses. Say it with me. Trials, transitions, and tragedies. Most of the time we're trying to minister to people who are not in that context. Ego dominates the self-sufficient. If the person isn't in a trial, a transition, or a tragedy, the odds of their heart being open to Jesus are quite low because ego dominates the self-sufficient. Think of your own life. You're not open to Jesus when you're riding high, right? You came to Christ usually when you lost something, right? Even people that were raised in the church are people that were raised by Christian parents. Do you know what happens? They don't really know how much they need Jesus until they suffer the inevitable losses of life. They step outside of life, they get married, and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I need Jesus. <laughs> it's true. As long as they're in the sheltered existence of the household, you keep blessing them and blessing them and blessing them. They never fully grasp the understanding of how much they actually need this gospel and how much they need this kingdom. So you're looking for somebody who's in a trial. They're going through something. You're looking for somebody who's in a transition. They just moved to town. Are you looking for somebody who's just suffered a loss? Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they lost their marriage. Maybe they lost, I don't know what. Those are ministry opportunities to say, hey, look, why don't you come to church with me? You know, you need a little hope in your life. I mean, just simple things. You're not saying, well, God so loved the world. You know, you're not giving like altar calls and giving them a theological discussion on sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know, you don't have to do that. You're not, you, you just, an invitation is all it takes. God seekers and prodigals. You're looking for not just people who are in trial, their transition or tragedies. You're looking for people that are God seekers, spiritually open people. Spiritually open, right? And then prodigals. Prodigals are people who are just either been misinformed, they've had some guilt complex because they feel like they've left the faith and God doesn't love them anymore, or maybe, God forbid, they've been hurt by the church. The church doesn't hurt anyone. Who told you that? Good God, right? You run your hand across my heart and feel the scars. They read like Braille. I've been in ministry for a long time. These scars didn't happen from people. They came from church leaders. I'm like, oh, no. <clears throat> That's our heart here is to do no harm, to not hurt you. Right? That's our heart. If there's an issue, we'll try to fix it. If there's something wrong, we'll try to help you. We'll try to correct it. But our heart is never to do harm to the people, to build the people, to lift the people, never dominate the people. Right? To preach a kingdom gospel in a manner in which the Lord prescribes and to not be Nicoleos that dominate the people or be Jezebels that create licentiousness within the culture. Those are the two things Jesus condemned in the book of Revelation that were inherent in his churches. Nicoleos and spirits of Jezebel. Spirits of Jezebel was a worldly mixture of culture within the church. And that's what produced the promiscuity, the open sexual licentiousness became an accepted form within the church. And Jesus said, I'm against that spirit. And the Nicoleo, which means to dominate the people, they had created a spirit where the pure people were under a domination, not the domination of the Holy Spirit, who is our, the only one who has that authority, but they had created an authority structure within the church that dominated the people. And so what is God's intent? Love the people, be conservative in your message, and don't dominate them. What's the opposite of dominating them? Lift them higher, right? That's the idea. 
God seekers. So lastly, the wise men, the wise men worshiped, right? So we're looking for God seekers. We're looking for prodigals, right? You're prodigal. You need to come home, prodigal, right? I had a guy one time. I'll share this story quick. I'm running out of time, but I'll share this story quick. This guy who had been a believer for a long time, refused to do anything with his faith, was raised by missionaries. His dad was like a jungle pilot or something and used to fly Bibles into, you know, Brazil, whatever. He would do all this crazy stuff. And this guy was raised in mission camps, and I kept asking him to do certain things. I said, man, why don't you do this or do that? Or, no, man, I don't have time for that. Nah, man, I'm not your guy. Nah, I can't even come to church anymore. Nah, that's not my thing. That's not my thing. And I went home and I prayed because I felt like the Lord kept identifying this guy. And I kept going to him and saying, you won't do anything? And he's like, nah. And he used to hold a cup of coffee and he'd go, I'm not your guy, Kev. I'm not your guy. And I went home and I told the Lord, I'm like, he says he's not my guy. And so the Lord gave me a word for him. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, man, I got a word for you. And he said, what's that? And I said, I, asked, I talked to Jesus about what you said. And the Lord has a question for you. He said, you need to tell him when. He's like, when what? He said, it can be in five years. It can be in five months. It can be in five weeks. But he wants to know when he's going to get a return on the investment that he's made in you. When? When will you give me back what I've invested in? right? Read your Bible. Jesus doesn't invest without a return, right? He sows where he did not plant, or he sows where he did not plow. He invests, and he expects a return, and we're obligated to give him a return. He doesn't care. The return doesn't have to be perfect, but he's expecting effort, right? He's not expecting perfection, but he is expecting effort. (laughs) Give me something. Fig tree, parable of the talents, Clear stories of that. Accountability. When will you give me back what I've invested in you? When will you begin to give me a return on what I have given to you? Give me something. Just a thought. Wise men. The wise men came to Bethlehem. I don't have time to even unpack this. I'd love to unpack this, but I don't. The wise men came to Jerusalem. And they came and they said, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? So the, the, the shepherds took the time. And the Chaldeans, these wise men, took the risk. Do you have any idea what a risk this was? Right? The background of who they were and where they came from, I was hoping to do that, but I couldn't. But, the, but I want to emphasize the risk that these people took. They were in a world that was dominated by the Roman Empire, even Persia. They were Persians, but Persia was under the control of Rome. Right? And they travel from Persia into a dominantly controlled Roman place. They go up to Herod, who was the false king, Right? He was a political appointee. He had no legal right by God's standard to be, to be king. He was an Edomite. He wasn't even a Judean. Right? He was an illegitimate one on the throne. And the Chaldeans ask him, where's the one who was born king of the Jews? We know you hold the title king of the Jews, but where's the one with the blood right? <laughs> Not only did they risk Herod killing them, but they risked the Romans opposing them. Because the Romans not only had appointed Herod, the Romans had no king but Caesar. That was their rule, right? And so you're going to go around prophesying about a king. So these men took great risks to worship the Lord. The wise men took the time, and these guys took the risk. Most of us will risk nothing. Do you know why? We're religiously correct. These guys traveled months to honor the one that was born king. Months. Yeah, yeah. They traveled, from, they traveled from Persia all the way down to Judea to find the one who was born king. The religious leaders wouldn't travel six miles. When they asked the priests and the scribes to come in, they said, where's the one who's going to be born king? They asked Herod, and Herod said, in Bethlehem of Judea is written by the prophet Micah. They knew right off the rip. They didn't even have to talk about it. They're like, where's he going to be born? He's born in Bethlehem, like the prophet Micah said. And they were like, why'd you wake me up for that? And they went back to bed. They wouldn't even, the one who's born king is here. And they couldn't even rouse themselves to go six miles because it was too inconvenient for them. It was outside of their religious structure. It was outside of their lifestyle and the way that they had created their lives. Right? Just a thought. Worship requires risk. It requires risk. David said, I will make no offering to God that costs me nothing. This is the high honor of Christian. You were called to a high honor to honor a king. Don't let people dumb it down. Don't let them dumb it down, right? 
They broke the alabaster box over Jesus, and Judas said, you've wasted it! Right? Some of you, you, you go out in generosity, and you try to break out of the norm, and you try to lavishly give your life to Christ, and you listen to the voices of Judas around you, telling you you're wasting it. Huh? You submit to voices of a Judas, a traitor, who will always diminish the status of the believer, who will always diminish the status of Christ, who will always diminish the status of the son and daughter. You have to make up your mind. I will honor the Lord at all costs. At all costs. I'll eat ramen noodles and live in my car if I have to, but I will honor the Lord. (laughs) They bowed themselves and they opened their treasures. So the Chaldeans worshiped. Before they gave them all of their life, they gave themselves, they gave them, they gave themselves first. This is important. A lot of times we operate with religious pretenses. We give God areas of our life, but we don't give him all of us. It's not all of me, Jesus. No, 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 no. I do the checklist, you see, right? I read a verse of my Bible every day. I say a quick prayer before I walk out the door. I do my checklist, but not all of me. No, no, don't say that to me. And we create a, we create a context that's not what he creates. We have to bow our own hearts, Right? It's true. We bow all of our life, every part of us. That's the desire that God wants. He wants all of you. All of you is not a moment in worship. So what, what worship becomes is the access point to his, to his presence, and in his presence it becomes the lifestyle. So when you begin to worship God, you're creating an access point into his presence. God comes into the honor of the worship, and his presence envelops your life. And from the, light, from the envelopment of his presence, we live the lifestyle of the believer. Not apart from him, but in him. God wants you to bow your heart before you bow your treasure. Most people say, well, I bow my heart, but I won't bow my time. I bow my heart, but I won't bow my body. I bow my heart, but I won't bow my mind. I bow my heart, but I won't give my money. You're not fully Christ. You don't belong to him fully. God wants every part of you, but he doesn't. So we have, these, we have this sort of dichotomy where we have Christians who want to give sections of their life, but they don't want to give all of their heart. Then we have other Christians who want to give all of their heart, but they don't want to give up the other sections. And then we got the believer who's just all in and I don't care. They're the Geronimo believers. They jump out of the plane whether they got a parachute on or not. Right? <laughs> Dude, you don't have a parachute on. I know. Shh. Jesus said jump, so I jumped. <laughs> Say this, what the Lord wants most for me in worship is me. When I offer him all of me, then I become all of him. Right? So lastly, who are you going to invite? What do you hold back from the Lord? What do you know you have? What do you know but you won't offer? Huh? Oh, there's some people in here that know that. You know what the Lord's told you, but you just won't do it. Could it be the key to your next level, the key to your transformation is in crossing that chicken line, making that risk, right? Ah, another story. Got lots of other stuff, but I won't. Amen? Say this. I will honor the Lord with not just part of me, with all of me. I will never allow myself to diminish the standard of worship that the Lord has established over me. I will never allow Another, to diminish the standard of worship that the the Lord has established over me. Say this, I renounce all covenants and agreements with a spirit called Judas. Every spirit that would deny Jesus. Every spirit that would diminish him. Every spirit that would seek to keep me from giving all of me. I renounce that spirit. I repent For every covenant I have made with any such spirit, I repent, come on, for any identity I have drawn, any comfort I have taken, or decisions I have made as it relates to or in association with the spirit of Judas. And I receive this day a spirit of honor, a spirit of, I hear prestige, a spirit of prestige, and a spirit of life. I command all lingering after effects of this Judas spirit and the betraying spirit that diminishes the worship and the honor of the Lord 
in my life. I command it to lift now in the name of Jesus. And I receive a fresh impartation of glory and honor, a fresh adoption as son or, da- as son or daughter, and a spirit of refreshing coming. Come on, come on. A spirit of refreshing coming into and upon my life right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. What we, amen. <laughs> we have a, a prayer team available. Mickey's feeling ready to give some prophetic words. So if you want a prophetic word, Mickey's going to give you one. Um, he's told me, he's like, I want to give some word, Pastor. I'm like, well, we'll put you over there, so go for it. Uh, anyway, we want to bless you. We want to honor you one more time. And we're so grateful for everybody who watches us by live stream. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.